0: All right, I wanna open up in Colossians chapter three. And just at the very beginning, we open the service with this as well. It says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God and set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. Lord, I love you. I thank you so much for your word. Pray that it would run swiftly and be glorified. And we thank you that you are the good husband who loves and cherishes his wife. And you wash her with the water of your word. So we just ask you for that washing tonight. We just dive into your word. No clever notes, no good presentation. We just want your word. We just want you. And we just come to the simple place of just Bible study and conversation. Just in, just the beauty of your word. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live in between these pages. That these pages are thick in the spirit because they're a home for you. We thank you that you talk, that you speak, that you're here ready to interact to anyone who would open up this book. That would study it and engage in conversation. And we love you so much, Father. And the same... Love that you've just put in my heart for the word, and the same just desire and hunger to know you in here. We just, I just ask that uh, just that hunger would be put into each individual. And Jesus, we just thank you for this week to just peel back and. And consider you the apostle and the high priest of our faith. And we set our minds on things above. We set our mind on you. We just let our heart and our mind and our mouths be filled with Jesus. We love you so much. Amen and amen. I smile extra big now when I say two amens. Because now I know it's in the Bible. Chris has just like given me so much just by pointing that out. What's funny is we were teasing, but he said that on Monday. He's like, I think that's in the Bible. And I'm like, I don't think so, dude. And I'm like, I read the Bible a lot. <laughs> and then he pointed it out. And I'm like, how in the world did I miss this? Two amens. Anyway, it's still, that's still just like the new revelation of my life thanks to the treasure of the board Slash sound man, slash groundskeeper, slash building maintenance.
1: Treasure of the
0: house. Yeah. So, this week I've been preparing for the next session in Altar Table Road. And I'm still going to preach that. It's not finished or written out because today I went to go write it out. And it just didn't feel like it was soaked in oil anymore. It just felt like, for today, it just felt like I was assimilating content um, for the sake of assimilating content. It's like, I never wanna get stuck in that rut. So when I'm like putting together a message and it's like that Old Testament passage where like God's telling Moses, I'm not going with you, but my angel will go with you. So it's like, yeah, you can do that and be blessed maybe if you want to do that, but that's not the direction I'm going. And you know me, I'm not like a bandwagon guy. I kind of hate bandwagons, and I'm not like your natural company guy where it's like I'm going to always wear your logo and all this stuff. I just That's not who I am. And so if there is like a bandwagon, then I'm usually a suspect of it. I'm like, I'm not doing that. So it's very easy for a time like Easter or Resurrection Sunday, sorry, I'm trying to catch myself from invoking the name of that wicked goddess. Um, so seasons like Resurrection Sunday come around and uh, you know everyone's focusing on the death, burial, and resurrection. And those are good things to focus on all the time. And uh, so because of my natural personality type, it's easy for me to just, well, everyone else is doing that, so I wanna do something different. And so I was doing my different thing and nothing was working. And uh, I was just seeking the Lord this morning, like just trying to find the, you know, the juice, like where's the, where's the blood in the water? Where's the anointing? Where's the stuff being poured out at? And uh, I finally just had a meaningful connection with the Lord and he'd brought me back to the book of Colossians. Now, when it comes to the book of Colossians, like Revelation chapter one and the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ is just such a goldmine of the beauty of Jesus, especially chapter one, um, his testimony over different churches in chapter two and three, uh, the throne room, and then his plan like to take back the planet um, and just how that storyline fits in the storyline of all of scripture. Revelation is just amazing, And it's just, again, just a baptism in the name of Jesus is like reading Revelation. And there's another book, Colossians, that when I read it, it gives me that same, just like, God, Jesus is in here, and just like this rah, rah, Jesus type stuff. So honestly, I just read through Colossians. I didn't take any notes. And I just wanna read through Colossians with you. Um, And so we're gonna go verse by verse and just read it, and maybe comment on some things. And I brought Allie up here, because when we were on the break, I just kind of had this flash in my head of us just sitting in chairs with two microphones, and um, because we've both really been impacted. You look scared. I
1: think this is your sneaky way to make sure I'm paying attention tonight. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I mean. Like, it's a sneaky, like, okay, I'm paying attention.
0: No. No, I asked you if you I would know. like In to. In
1: season and out of season, you might be pulled up here. <laughs> At any point. <laughs> yeah. I am scared.
0: <laughs> oh, well, you shouldn't be, because Jesus is here. <laughs> but uh, after I read Colossians, her face just lit up, because she's been working on a painting called Blood and Water. and A, Colo- a painting. Oh, painting. I'm sorry,
1: you said baking. I was like, sorry, oh, painting. a painting yes, called painting. Blood and
0: Water. Um, And she's been being lit up by Colossians at the same time. So the Lord just really brought us to the same page. And I just feel like it's appropriate for this weekend especially to just focus on Jesus. And I can't think of a better spot than just going through Colossians because there's just so much, boom, Jesus stuff in here. Did you want to give a snapshot into what Colossians has meant to you the last couple weeks and Um. your, your blood and water painting?
1: Oh, yeah. Or anything
0: else, if you had something else that you're just raring to go?
1: No. Not raring to go? Chris, is this too hot? Is this too hot? Okay. Um, Well, I was painting yesterday, and I was meditating on Colossians 1.20, uh, which says, And through him to reconcile... Well, we'll start back at 19. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, Jesus... And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And um, ever since DeRee had encouraged us, she had asked, we were going on a fast together. When was that? February, I think. Was it February? January. January. Um, and there's a devotional called Keep the Blood Warm. I highly encourage everyone to go through that at some point in your life. Um but it really just you meditate more meditate meditate morning and evening um, on scriptures that focus on the blood of Jesus and what he did for you and the price that he paid and that devotional has just wrecked my life in a good way, and I really felt um moved to i 'm an artist and I like to paint and I felt like I wanted to give the testimony of Jesus through a painting and it was gonna be called blood and water. And so yesterday I was in here in the prayer room and I was meditating on this scripture. David didn't even know. Like we we found out the same thing like this morning after he'd already prepared. I was like, Oh yeah, Colossians one twenty. But I was over here and just meditating on how God, the living God, like When I sing, what king would come down and bleed for you? I mean, that I mean that. Like, there's nobody on the earth that I know in a monarchy that would bleed for you. (laughs) You know, they're just—they want you
0: to bleed for them. They want
1: you to bleed for them. So it's just this beautiful picture of the living God putting on flesh forever. Like He is Jesus. (laughs) I always think of. I'm sorry, y'all, if this makes me horrible. But remember the movie Aladdin? I watched it when I was little. And then the genie's like, oh, power and itty-bitty living space. That's what I feel about when Jesus came down here and, like, put on flesh. Itty-bitty living space. Like, he's, you know, in flesh now forever because he had to come as a man to pay the price and to bleed blood for you and me. So, anyway, I was just meditating on the scripture last night and um, crying and Snot bubbles and everything before painting my painting. It was a very spiritual moment. It was very good. But yeah, that's just, Colossians 120 is really mainly what I've been meditating on in Colossians right now. It's all good, though.
0: Yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna try to hit it all. So if you're like, man, we're so used to speeches in church, right? That it's like the word of God is read and your mind kind of shuts off. Am I the only one that does that and has to guard against that? Yeah, this is not a TED Talk. Um, (laughs) Like even when you're reading a book, right, and then they quote scripture, it's like you're reading the book and then they quote a scripture and then you just kind of skim through the scripture because it's like, okay, I know that already. Um, And then you skip down and read the book material. And so sometimes it can be grueling for our flesh, but I just speak life over you. If you have a Bible with you, open it up and just Go through it with us and we're gonna read it slow and maybe the Holy Spirit will like inspire some conversation around some certain pieces. Um, If you're pulling it up online, then we're reading out of the New American Standard 1995.
1: I also feel like as an exercise, okay, this is very uh, cool. So like the breath, it's it's his breath in our lungs and sometimes I feel like we forget to breathe. Like we've had a rough week and we forget to breathe and all this stuff gets stuck in our body. So let's breathe. I been the Holy Spirit's been reminding me to do this. Just like breathe in him right now. We breathe you in God and just let everything else out. Like let it out from the tip of your toes the to fingers. This is not new age. This is just breathing and asking Holy Spirit to fill us, to fill our minds, to fill our hearts, to receive his word. So Jesus, we just breathe you in today and we just let go of everything else that could be hiding in the body that would hinder us from receiving your word. That's all I wanted to do. Yeah.
0: Yes, Lord, would we just, our hearts touch the intimacy of your word? We thank you for teachers and evangelists and prophets and pastors and apostles. We thank you for those things, but we know that they just draw from your word. We just thank you for the life that's in here. And so we just ask you for the life of God to just jump off these pages and just even into our mortal bodies. Father, we love you so much. So I'm just going to read this, and uh, I'm excited because I have great corporate times But uh, very few times are compared to when I just open up a Bible and I'm on my couch. And so I just invite you guys into that space. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love which you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel, which has become to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God and truth. Verse six is an interesting verse about the word of God being sown as a seed and it's constantly bearing fruit. And continuing to increase. And then he points to them as just a, a corporate body and says, even it, as it has been doing in you also. Since the day that you heard it and understood it. Heard it and understood it. In Romans, it talks about faith coming through hearing and hearing through the rhema of God. And that's the Greek word for word of God. So when you read it in English, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. And that word there is rhema. Um, But it's interesting that Romans uses the word through because you're hearing through the rhema into something that's inside of it. And a few years ago, we did a teaching on the difference between rhema and logos. What you're actually doing is hearing through the rhema into the logos, into the understanding of it. And when you hear the word and you understand it, it grips you. It gives you authority and power because you, you know it. It's in you. And this is the difference between the word of the Lord being a sword as a piece of equipment In Ephesians, when it's talking about the full armor of God, and it says, take on the sword of the spirit, right? It uses the word rhema for the sword of the spirit being the word of God. But when it becomes alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword in the, the book of Hebrews, it's using the word logos behind there. And so the difference is now that you have this piece of equipment, you've heard the word, the sword in Hebrews becomes you understand the word. And when you understand it, that's where it comes to the place where it bears fruit in your life and grows fruit to maturity. Um, One of the things I constantly hear within the church is this value for simplicity. Um, And it comes from a phrase that Paul used to the Corinthians when he says, I am afraid that you'll be distracted from a simplicity of devotion to Christ. So when Paul's talking in that context, he's saying, I'm afraid that you're gonna be distracted from your single-eyed focus on Jesus. He wasn't at all saying that the gospel should be non-complex, or he wasn't saying that the gospel should be simple as in non-complex. If you read the book of Proverbs, it just flies in the face of that idea, right? How long you simple ones, where you love simplicity just right out of the gate is just a rebuke to a simple-minded person who's not given themselves to understanding. But then when you read through Proverbs, And you see the call of understanding and the fruit that understanding actually produces in your life. It puts in that active sword where it becomes a piece of equipment that you're trained in and you know how to use the word of the spirit. And so here in Colossians uh, 6, Paul's encouraging them because they've heard the word, but they didn't forget about it. They're doing it. Obviously, they're putting it into practice, but they're searching it because their heart is longing for understanding. Like, I want to know the why behind this, and I feel like we're losing a generation because we're we've gotten so much in the theological kiddie pool to be relevant and like reach everyone that we have such a shallow understanding that the enemy can almost just like hit us with any lame attack, and the church will just go along with it. Um, But I am encouraged by a generation of young people that we constantly are encountering that want deeper things, that know that there are deeper things out there. And it's just this heart cry of, like, I want to understand. Like, I've heard things, but I really long for understanding. So this is going on in Colossians. Did you have anything on that before we move on?
1: I did. Uh, Between the rhema and the logos, it's almost like you're just talking about fruit, And, you know, you have a seed, and the outside of the seed, which we learned in the nutrition class, I think it's the bran, is that right? The bran? On the outside, we're sharing. There you are. Bran, right? The bran part. It's almost like that's the vehicle for the life inside the seed, the stuff that's good for you, the stuff that really has the nutrients, or like the seed that you plant in the ground, it busts out of that outer shell, and then the life springs forth. So you have always talked about the rhema being the vehicle for the understanding, and and what you do with that seed is very important. If you tend to that seed, if you put it in the soil and and moisture and let it wash, you know, get moist and and have the warmth, then it will produce life. Um, But if it just sits, you know, unattended and not stewarded, then it won't bring fruit. So I just think it's interesting they're talking about, like how you were talking about the seed and bearing fruit, like the responsibility we have when we receive the, the word of God, how yeah. we plant those seeds in our heart.
0: Amen. That goes back to Jesus' parable on the four soils. And a lot of times the four soils, right, the rocky ground, the thorny soil, and the path, and the good soil, we're all taught in mostly a fatalistic way of you're either one of these four predetermined soils that's going to grow fruit in a kind of way. And so you'll hear that a lot from evangelists, that'll say, well, I'm just after the fourth soil people, so I expect about 25% of people who hear the gospel to respond and stand the test of time and grow fruit to maturity, um, which I think is nonsense because Jesus used a farming parable to teach us how to garden our own soil. So he didn't give us examples of anything in the natural that we couldn't already remedy as farmers and gardeners, right? Right. And so it really. I look at my
1: flower beds and I'm like, well, bummer. There's a weed in there. Can't do anything about it. No, I pull the weed.
0: Yeah, you you pull the weed. It's not like this fatalistic, there's a weed in there and there's nothing I can do about it unless God pulls it for me. He's like, no, I created you to tend that garden. Go pull the weeds out. Yeah. Go break up the the soil. Get the rocks out. Yeah. Verse seven, talking about. uh, Hearing and understanding the word of God and truth in verse seven, just as you have learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant who is a faithful servant of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And he also informed us of your love in the spirit. Oh, what a beautiful testimony. For this reason also, since, we, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This is one of my favorite prayers. Um, And uh, I I whip it out a lot because people, and it's biblical to say this, you know, like I'll see you next week and they'll say, Lord willing. I always whip this prayer back at him. Well, I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And uh, you know, both are true, both are true. Verse 10, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Oh my goodness, look at this, how like the spiritual wisdom, the knowledge of his will, the spiritual wisdom and understanding is so that you can actually live a life, that you can walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects and bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. It's not legalism to long to please the Lord, to walk worthy of him and bear fruit for good works. Like in Ephesians, it says you were his handiwork Like you're his piece of art and you were created for something. And I think it's beautiful that uh, the church has captured a great message on us being like the handiwork of God or the artwork of God. But then we stopped there. We were actually created for good works. And so it's not legalism to put your hand and your foot to doing good. It's actually the call of the gospel. And we'll see that as we, we read on in Colossians because when you just start reading stuff in the Bible instead of like isolating bits, like just the context heals so much funny ideas that we have in the Western church. So anyway, end of verse 10, he's praying for them to increase in the knowledge of God, which I, I tie to both an understanding that we were talking about, but an understanding that comes through personal, intimate fellowship with the person of God. So, increasing in that kind of knowledge of God, strengthened with power according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This just makes me happy. So here's kind of a glimpse into um, just the way that I read the Bible. So when I first got saved, um, I wasn't much of a reader. If you've read through my testimony in the book in the back, um, I cheated through high school. My high school diploma was illegitimate. I joined the military because the only thing I could do to like do something with my mind that I just destroyed on video games, porn, and not learning anything in high school. And so, even though it was really scary after 9-11, I joined the military. And it wasn't because I wanted to go um, get Haji back. It was because I legit didn't know what to do with my mind. Um, so when I came to the Lord, I, my mouth was full of excuses of... I don't read the Bible, but I wanna talk to you. So he allowed that to continue for a little bit, and I just prayed all the time. Like, once I found him and fell in love with him and his presence came and he was a real person, I was pulled out of my atheism into engaging this divine being who was talking to me. This was just insane. It was incredible. And I was in the love relationship of my life. Uh, Because of my porn addiction, it was so deep-seated. Like, before, like, we're talking three, four, five, my earliest memories are all tainted um, by that, Um, especially growing up in Florida, and you're just always around that culture. Um, I had no ability to bond with people in a meaningful way. So when I got saved, I fell in love with the Holy Spirit. He's legitimately the first person that began to heal my heart so that I could actually bond with people, because he was the first person that I bonded with. And so because of that, like prayer, just talking to him was just all the time, nonstop. And uh, after a couple months, I had prayed this prayer, God, I wanna know you more. And he said, read my word. And I was confused. I'm like, "Um, that's not what I meant. Like, I don't wanna read the Bible. Remember, you created me to hate to read. And uh, he didn't even acknowledge that. (laughs) He was just, read my word, (laughs) and i was even more confused cuz i'm trying to explain it to him so the third time i'm trying to explain it to him like he's a little child and i'm not trying to belittle him i just legitimately don't understand it's like you created me to hate to read so i'm not going to read your book like i'm not going to even understand or comprehend anything that i read anyway like we've got a good thing going like tell me another thing about you i want to i want to know you more and that's when he just thundered in my spirit read my word in the presence of god just like I'm not saying i lost my salvation but I think losing or gain, like gaining salvation as an object is a cheap way to look at it. You're in a relationship with the person and there's things you can do to build relationship intimacy and there's things that you can do to drift away from the person, right? It's just natural interpersonal relations. And so I'm not saying I lost my salvation that day, but it's like if I did not obey, I would not have done the things that were relational building things with God. Um. I didn't feel his presence anymore, and I just remember thinking to myself, I gotta do what it takes to get that back. And I tried prayer, nothing was happening. The tongues thing that I had had before, like the tongues thing was just not working. Nothing was working to get the presence of God. And so I'm finally like, well, I guess I'll just do what he said. So I started reading in Matthew. And it was astonishing um, after a few days in, like that prayer, God, I want to know you more because I want you to talk more, was actually answered in Bible study. And so to this day, I cannot separate Bible study and prayer. When I study the Bible, I pray. When I pray, I want a Bible in my hand. Um, and so I get into that because I feel like it's important when we read through this to remember like, hey, he's your friend and he enjoys your small talk. He enjoys your questions, he enjoys your thanksgiving, he even enjoys your confusion when you're like, I don't know what that means, help. And so that's what I mean when I'm just like reading verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who qualifies us to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. Like That just makes me happy. And so I tell him things like that, like God, that makes me happy, that is so cool. I don't even fully know what that means, but what a phrase. You qualified us to share with the saints in light, the inheritance of the saints in light. Oh my gosh, in your light. And so I just I just love those quirky, quirky moments with the Lord. Not everything has to be so like proper. You laughed, did you have a comment? No. Verse 13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Two different things, redemption and forgiveness of sins.
1: Explain that for the people.
0: Forgiveness of sins I think is obvious. Like He's full of grace and mercy and his heart is longing to forgive for repentance, but instead of just wiping your slate clean as if you've never sinned, but he redeems you. So the word redemption means to bring back to your original purpose. So think back to the Garden of Eden and the reason for which Adam and Eve were put there, to take dominion over the earth in partnership with God through an intimate bridal priesthood. To be fruitful in that earth that they've taken dominion over and multiply so that God has a family in the earth, to take dominion, to have authority over demons and darkness, and be able to turn this earth into a beautiful place, Um, to even restore your mortal body to the place where it... Is filled with divine nature and craves the life of God. And it's easy to say no to sin because instead of sin nature being built up in you, that's a foreign, alien thing that we've allowed to build up in us. But even understanding that the Lord can reprogram our nature such that our flesh, our flesh is just like a computer. You can put any operating system on it you want to. So when we put like flesh and sin nature as synonymous terms, we do ourselves a disservice because. Then, when we get stuck in sin because we're so used to running the operating system of sin nature, we just take it for granted that, like, we're always going to do this. And so, the message of grace and Jesus forgiving you of your sins and it doesn't matter what you do, like, that's good news until you get married and then your addictions start implicating other people and causing pain and wound and hurt to other people. And that was one of the things that led me into atheism because I'm like, God, I. Like, thanks for your grace, but I'm killing my wife. I need your help. I need to actually stop this. And I met with a lot of pastors that really didn't have an answer, where it's like, how do you actually stop? Like, well, uh, read Every Man's Battle, and then here's this accountability group. They would put me in an accountability group with guys that are still struggling. And so it's like you have guys in the pit that are trying to find a way out, and no one's found a way out. And just, it keeps you in the pit but his redemption, like it will take that old heart, it takes that old operating system off, brushes off the dust of the fine machine that he has made in the human body, renews your mind in Christ, and then beloved, like John prays, I pray that you prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. This thing begins to leak into your body like Romans 8 stuff, right? The same spirit of Christ, that raised him from the dead, dwells in you, he'll give life to what? Your mortal body. So body, soul, mind, spirit, all these things being able to do away, even with sin nature, and take on divine nature. That's your inheritance. And it talks about that in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4 as well. Uh, through his promises, we are cre- we are partakers of the divine nature. And so... Forgiveness of sins is like step one, but then once you're forgiven, like you come to him, you draw near to him, he draws near to you. All the relationship building um, things that we do to get close to him, to know him, to understand him, and let his seed grow fruit to maturity. That's why when I talk to guys um, and they want freedom from different addictions, and in simple terms, my answer is read your Bible and pray. But I'm not saying that as like read this book because it's magical and it will magically make things happen in your life. I'm like read this book to meet the person of Jesus. And when you're clothed with him, your mind is renewed. You'll see that old sin nature just being ripped out and the new program coming online. And it's actually more natural for you to function according to the fruit of the spirit with divine nature. Because God created you, not Satan. Satan, Satan is running his, hard, or his software on the hardware that God created. So it's, you were actually created as hardware to run divine nature. You weren't created as hardware to run sin nature. And so it is easy for God to destroy that in you, put his operating system back in you. The only thing that matter, matters is the size and the sort of your yes. To him, but that's what I mean by two different things. Yeah, but there's also no punctuation, but they are two different things. Yeah. Verse 15. Oh my goodness, this is when we get into the Jesus stuff. <sighs> He's the image of the invisible God. loves his son he's the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation for by him all things were created both in the heavens and on earth visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities all things have been created through him and for him Now, God did not decree the rebellion of humans and angels. But it's astonishing. Thank you, sir. It's astonishing that even in looking at the, re- the rebels. In this next verse, that he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Like the context to uphold the life of a rebel, like, is still upheld in him, and he created them in the first place. So instead of wiping the slate clean, like, he wants to save humble humanity and just shock the angelic host. Verse 18 He's also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. Reminds me of a phrase that Paul used in another letter where he said God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. It says here in verse 19 that it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him I say whether things on earth or in heaven, And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind and engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away From the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Verse 23 is a big if. I don't know if any of you guys felt that, but uh, I heard this phrase from Corey Russell several years ago. He says, God doesn't dance with mannequins. That would be weird, but the point is, like, he wants a dancing partner. Like he moves and you move. There's a role for him to play and a role for us to play. And so, verse twenty-two is cause for much rejoicing. He's reconciled us in his body through his death, in order to present him present to uh, present us before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. And then verse twenty-three: if, if indeed you continue. And the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope. Um, If you haven't been introduced to this concept, I would uh, be happy to be the first one to introduce you to it. Like, Behold the conditional realities of the promises of God. Um, Behold the conditional love of God. And I'm not saying that he doesn't love everyone in a general sense. He has a benevolent love for all creation, and John 3.16 picks that up. But there's something special about someone who draws near to him to understand and know his heart. And there's different kinds of love that are used to describe the one who will draw near and know him. And so, yes, his compulsion of love for all of humanity um, drove him to the cross to open up a door for the potential for Anyone who would call upon the name of the Lord to be saved and have eternal life. But um, the Jesus Revolution movie, I absolutely loved that. At the end, Allie and I wept. I think every time there's a baptism scene, we just wept. Um, And we just loved the movie. And there were so many beautiful things that came out of the Jesus movement. Um, of the 70s and so many amazing testimonies. But uh, they never let go some of them of their hippie theology and some of the hippie theology kind of like made its way into Christian theology. And one of those components was the unconditional love of God. That was actually... A concept presented by a, a atheist psychiatrist a few years before. Um, it was very new kind of way of thinking to last century because although there are more general type loves that could be unconditional, like I unconditionally love my children no matter what, um, but there are things that they can do to like move my heart for them or um, make my heart cold towards them. Um, same thing like with any relationship dynamic, like. There's things that I can do to my wife to like close her heart up to me, although there are elements of like, I love you unconditionally, but you know she can love me unconditionally in a sense, um, but keep herself protected if I'm constantly like being unfaithful to her, and it's no different with the Lord, and so this is just one of those examples. I mean, the Bible is filled with if and then, ifs and thens, um, all surrounding the love of the Lord, all surrounding the promises of God, all surrounding the judgments of the Lord. Um, Like if you do this, he'll respond this way. And it's really all just explaining the relational dynamics of the personality of God to get to know him better. And so that if is, that's a big, big, big two-letter word that gets kind of taken out of a lot of our theologies, but... They're all over the place when you read the Bible. Verse 24 kind of picks up an interesting concept that uh, when Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body, which is the church, in filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Have you ever read that before? Has it ever kind of shocked you? And especially around this time of Resurrection Sunday, like what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ? Like, and I still love the song, Jesus Paid It All. But what in the world is Paul talking about here? I'm filling up what's lacking in the afflictions of Christ. I'm actually not gonna explain that. I'm gonna let you wrestle with that because I wanna get through this book. I'm filling up what's lacking in the the afflictions of Christ. Verse 25, of this church I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit so that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. That is the mystery which has been hidden from ages past or from past ages and generations but has now been manifested to his saints to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God, we thank you for that. Like you were talking about the mystery of you know, the itty-bitty living space, like Christ's coming and flesh in general. But now, instead of like his own body suit in the sense that he created, it's like now it's Christ in you. And that is the hope of your future glory.
1: My mom, growing up, I love my mom, and she had this... Um, these hearts that were near the kitchen and they had different verses on them because all throughout scripture, especially the New Testament, it talks about, you know, Jesus being in us, God being in Jesus, like in him, through you know, all these things. And so she had these verses and it showed like how enveloped we were with the Lord. Um, so like there was a heart and then there was like her, Penny, she had her name, and then it was like the, this verse, and she would stuff it inside that heart. They all opened up. And then that would stuff inside another one, that one would stuff inside that, And there was like, she was like completely surrounded inside and out by, the, by God. It was really cool, and I need to find it. It's was probably bleached out at this point because it was, I don't know, probably 40 years old. But anyway, I just really loved that picture of, and she would talk to us about it when we were kids. We're like, and here's you, and here's Jesus in you, and God is in him, and then you're in Christ, and all this stuff, and it was just like all these hearts, and we're like in the center with stuff inside of us, and, and tons of hearts all around us. Does that make sense? I wish I had the visual right here for you, but it was just Dang really, it. Uh, no, it was like, it was interactive. <laughs> you had to put the hearts inside each other, but it was just really a beautiful picture of like how we really are surrounded. That 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 song, "I Am Surrounded by the Arms of the Father," like it's real. It's for real. Like He's in us, outside of us, through us. Like every cell of our body. And I think sometimes we just don't really believe it.
0: Yeah. When oh you start goodness. believing it, that's such a beautiful thing to behold. It and then interesting too because. Theologies about the Holy Spirit have been created using the on, with, in, and upon. Mm-hmm. And trying to differentiate the work of the Holy Spirit between the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what you'll find is the Old Testament and the New Testament both prepos- use all the prepositions. Prepositions
1: are in the Old Testament That he's also. on
0: you, he's with you, he's in, in you, you, upon you.
1: Yeah. So.
0: All the stuff. He really <laughs> it's likes amazing. this. amazing.
1: And he wants to be near. Yeah.
0: That was
1: my point, Sorry. If I can find it, I'm gonna go visit her in June. Maybe we can craft night together. (laughs) I can make one and bring it back so y'all can see. Please do,
0: that would be amazing. (laughs) Verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. (laughs) Now, if you have a New American Standard, you can look at the footnote. Some of you reading like a New King James or something, they actually use the P word, guys. They said perfect. They're teaching and proclaiming and admonishing with all wisdom so that they can present every man complete or perfect in Christ. For this person, I also or for this purpose, I also labor striving according To his power, which mightily works within me. I'm not trying to get out of balance here, but uh, I feel like we've struck an imbalance ourselves in our generation where we're afraid of words like labor and striving. But here's Paul saying for this purpose, I labor, I strive. But it's also according to his power, which mightily works within Paul, Jesus' power within Paul. And so it's that cooperation of the Lord not dancing with mannequins. Bless you with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. For I want you to know, chapter two, how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and all who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged having knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding Resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. So even in all of our talk about the importance of understanding and the Raymond Logos or whatever, just like the understanding and the knowledge and like the deep things of God being revealed is all just to pour our hearts and our minds just back into Christ himself as we're knitted to him and knitted to one another. Um, And this is why, because verse three, in whom, oh my goodness, Jesus, you're so deep, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so this is one of the things that's got to just starkly drive like a a distinction between like new age and like the pursuit of knowledge, right? Or the pursuit of the higher knowledge or pursuit of the ancient knowledge, or like all this mystic knowledge and stuff, and it's like just this knowledge for the sake of what? To know it, to be able to you know, astral project, to do like whatever. But it's like the Christian understands that the sacred knowledge, so to speak, is inside of a person. So it's like if you wanna tap that sacred knowledge, you actually have to go through the person who's gonna open up his heart to you to share the deep things of his heart. That's way different, because then relationship dynamics are involved because you don't just share the deep things of your heart with people who are shallow or trite or you know gossip about you, right? But Jesus, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I say this so that no one will delude you with a persuasive argument. For even though I'm absent in body, nevertheless, I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see you, your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ is another word that can be restored to our generation of Christianity is good discipline. And not just for the sake of being regimented for itself, but it's like, again, just keeping before you, like this is about relationship with the person. John 17:3 says, "Eternal life is to know God." So the discipline to be faithful to build relationship with God. It's the same thing like in marriage. Like we've been married 20 years and I feel like the last two years of our marriage is kind of like this, wow, we, we finally get it. And in a sense where it's like, we're starting to understand more the communication dynamics and the relationship building dynamics and like how I actually lead as a husband is not like the boss of like, well, I'm the head of the house and you gotta do this. But it's like, how do I use my influence to win her heart so that we can do things together? And just longing to know one another more. Like that type discipline where it's like I want to engage your heart at a deeper level. So the discipline to not disengage but to always like be in your presence to discover more about you and appreciate you and you're introverted and need alone time so sometimes sometimes i got to you know let you have your space which is fine god doesn't need space well i guess he created outer space and he likes that space but he likes us with him. That was Jesus' prayer, right, John 17? You got, what, what's turning up there? Me? Yeah. You're looking at me like, with your blinky face, like.
1: No, I'm not. Oh, okay. Are you saying God's not introverted? Because clearly Jesus withdrew himself from the people several times in the Gospels.
0: <laughs> that was the weakness of his right, flesh. Right,
1: I sent you. what did you say?
0: I said that was the, weak, the, the weakness of his flesh. What? He had to be perfected because of the things that he suffered, right?
1: We're gonna have some talk after this. <laughs> he was introverted as well, Hey, I mean. don't
0: take any theology from like the last Our two
1: discussion.
0: minutes. <laughs> We're just kind of poking at each other. I'm not. <laughs> okay, I'm saying, but yes, Jesus I'm saying in his flesh yeah. had to withdraw yeah. to be with the Lord. Yeah. Yes, I acknowledge that. That is, that is true.
1: I also have to withdraw.
0: Yes. It's so biblical of you to do so. Thank you. And I've, I respect your space when you with withdraw. Hmm. But when you... I need
1: a vest that says, I need space. <laughs> 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 like those dogs, you know, the working dogs? Oh my goodness. Anyway.
0: I'm done. All right, so all that just from the word discipline. Hallelujah. He's excited to see their good discipline and stability of their faith in Christ. Verse 6. Therefore you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So you received him, walk in him, right? The free gift you've been given, now set your foot to respond, excuse me, your foot to respond to that, (laughs) stomach bubbles came up, oh my goodness, my apologies, now everyone knows the pastor burps, shoot, all right. So walk in him, verse seven, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him. Now, this is a key phrase that we need to keep before us in the next few verses, is the in him. That we're being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. For in him all fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And in him you have been made complete, and he is head over all rule and authority. And in him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands in the removal of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Okay, so the reason I'm emphasizing all these in-hims is we kind of understand the concept of in-him, except for verse nine is a little bit more difficult to understand when it says, for in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. I feel like this is one of those, can I say double entendre things where it's got two meanings and they're both really cool. So I think the traditional way to look at this, for in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, which, amen, he does, it does. And it, it says that in, um, earlier in the book, uh, chapter one, verse 19. But what this also means as the double entendre, that's just so much fun to say, is in him the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So you have all these in him statements So I'm just going to read my note here from my study this morning. Yes, the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus. Again, Colossians 119 says so. However, the context of this passage is specifically talking about the posture of life, about us being in him. And Paul is saying in agreement with himself, and you can look at Romans chapter eight eleven. That's the life of God in your mortal body And 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 4, that our mortal flesh can be inhabited by divine nature. This is the life of God in our soul manifesting in our bodies. And I feel like this also reflects Jesus' prayer for us to be one as he is one by being in him and he in us. It's just such a beautiful passage as he's just talking about in him, in him, in him. But he just starts off with this, in him. Like, yes, the fullness of deity dwells in Jesus in bodily form, but if you're in him, then the fullness of his deity can fill your bodily form as well. And it's Christ in you that's the hope of future glory, like the glorification of your body. When he's seen at the the end of the age and we all are changed in the twinkling of an eye. Then verse 11. I might come back to this when he speaks on circumcision again another time. But uh, keep verse 11 in your head. And in him we were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, and the removal of the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of our transgressions. I wanna stop there and look at the past tense Of that. When you were dead, he made you alive. Or back up to chapter one and verse twenty-one, he says, although you formerly were alienated. Like you're not those things anymore. One of the scriptures we like to tout to kind of justify just wallowing in sin or just too lazy to put our hand to the plow to suffer in the flesh to cease from sin, as 1 Peter 4.1 says. Um, We'll use Paul's phrase where he says, I am the chief of sinners. But just in that same context, he says, I formally was. I formally did these things. Like, I no longer do those things. And so the inference is he's no longer the chief of sinners. He was, but he's no longer. And so he has the same call to the church like you formerly were those things. You aren't these things anymore. Because he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all of us our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which made us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way and having nailed it to the cross. Now, a lot of people will use this verse, verse 14, to say that the law of the Lord, like the Torah, like, was nailed to the cross, and I wrote, read a heartbreaking book that someone gave me. It was a fiction book, but it was supposed to be of um, Jesus on the cross and like what he went through on the cross. And it was a pretty decent book, but it got to this part in the book where Jesus was like summoning up these like different enemies of the kingdom of heaven, like sin and death. And all these things and like rebuking them and telling them like, I won and I beat you. And it was great and a really creative book. But then it got to the heartbreaking part where he pulled up the law and started rebuking the law, like in this fiction book. And uh, as if like it's done away with And people of that mindset, they'll use this, this verse as if like he nailed the law, like his own word became his own enemy. Like that doesn't even make sense. Um, Which we love the law in this house, and if that fills you with questions, then I'm happy to get you some links to some other past teachings where we had time to break that down fuller. But in verse 14, it's not talking about that he has nailed the law to the cross, but he's actually nailing the arguments of the prosecuting attorney to the cross. The devil, Satan, is the accuser of the brethren, right? Right? And so he would use the law to have a just prosecution against each of you. And so through the cross, that prosecution has been nailed to it and forgotten and wiped away. So now there's no prosecuting attorney with any valid argument because of the blood of Jesus. Amen. Amen. And so that's why in verse 15 he uses the word disarmed because the prosecuting attorney has been disarmed. He nailed it to the cross when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities. He made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to festival or a new moon or Sabbath day, which are a mere shadow of what is to come. But the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. By delighting in self abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head. I think an accurate but kind of a cheap way to put this would be like, don't let anyone tell you any rules. Because you just need to believe in the cross. I would agree like with that basic generalization. But if I can like recall just New Age back up to you or Hinduism. Like all these religions that punish the body or discipline the body in a way where you can have real experiences. Um, men and women all throughout history have been able to use their bodies to... Get into the spiritual and have these experiences. And so there's this list of, you know, do this or don't do this or, you know, watch this food. And I think that's why people gravitate to a lot of the wisdom that the New Age or the Hindus or the Buddhists have um, in their pursuit of these spiritual things. But here's Paul's admonition the same as when we brought this up the last time is like, hold fast to the head, hold fast to Jesus. And so if you're given a moral platitude, if you're given a list of how to discipline your body without holding fast to the person of Jesus to hold your hand through you becoming a spiritual person, beware of that. If you become so fascinated with the angels that are meeting you in your dreams and teaching you how to astral project and open your third eye, but you're not holding fast to the head, that is Jesus. Beware of that. The head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. For you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? Which all refer to things destined to perish with use, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. Now, again, I have to do this to for a people that has been so like stuck in the law is bad and the and all this stuff. The commandments and teachings of men, not the commandments and teachings of God, but of men. Verse 23, these are matters which have to be sure have the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but they have no, flesh, or they have no value against fleshly indulgence. Chapter three, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep th- seeking the things above where Christ is, seated it at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things that are of the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I can't think of a better admonition for worship leaders or a people that are called to just steward worship on their hearts, is not let your soul be moved by the music and you know sometimes those moments can happen and it's okay and the Lord the Lord likes music so he's not shocked that we use it he fills heaven with music but oh that the people of God would just constantly live lives of astonishment because their minds are set on things above where Christ is And then for you worship leaders and musicians, like worship leader, not song singer. Like how do you steward your mind to set it on things above so that when you play the notes, that moves the emotions of the people that you're leading? Where has your mind been set all week and where are you leading them to? Like are you coming as someone who's astonished to say, look what I saw this week This is one of the reasons, I feel like the value of this house, and maybe you can speak to this a little bit more as a worship leader, I feel like there is maybe some wisdom in like seeing how the room is engaging. But at the same time, it's like we're not moved by what we see or feel. It's like we are in love with Jesus and we're just gonna go for it. And we're going to encounter him and we'll bust through things that needed to be bust through as a worship team, as worship leaders. If you wanna come, then the way has been led for you. If you don't, we're having a great time anyway. Yeah, if you've got anything on that.
1: Well, I used to get in trouble for this actually <laughs> in um, other communities where I wasn't, I was just with Jesus. And my Jesus bubble, you know, like up here, and, um, or wherever I was at. And they would say, You need to, you need to, um, what did I say? Gauge the room or something like that. And not engage. Engage is different. Engage is good. I like engaging. I like exhortation. But like, gauge, like, where's the room at? You know what I'm saying? And my, my thing was that if they're not there, why would I want to come down? Isn't a leader supposed to take wow. people places? And I had another lady, um, and she meant really well by it, but I was leading worship, and and she was like, you took us straight in the throne room. I'm like, where else would I go? Like, that's where I want to be, like, all the time. That's <laughs> like, I mean, the living creatures don't want to leave, so I really want to be there, you know? And so, anyway, I just feel like, if it says set your mind on things above, I mean, they're very intentional about what words and so for me that's above that's you know Jesus it's what he said, it's what he wants it's what it's his feet like in heaven and so I feel like I feel like that's true like that's so that's kind of how I've been I'm just like Lord I'm ready I'm coming and I'm like I hope y'all come too <laughs> and if not We'll pray afterwards or something. You know, like, I don't know. I just feel like it's really weird when people ask to gauge the room. I think that's, I don't know if that's biblical or not, actually. I think if you're leading somewhere, you lead someone somewhere. You don't have to, like, you can encourage and exhort, but I think, who was it who said you don't have to advertise a fire?
0: Leonard Ravenhill.
1: Leonard Ravenhill.
0: God bless that man.
1: I do this myself. I don't know. When I see smoke pillars and I'm like, where is that coming from? You know? And I like want to go find it. I want to go see what's burning. That's horrible. I know that's horrible because it could be someone's house or something. But you don't have to advertise a fire. Like it just burns and people want to know like what's burning. You know? Does that make sense? Like, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I agree with you. Set your mind on things that are above. Have your awesome Jesus time. And people will be provoked to follow and come. That's my personal opinion.
0: Amen. We've all heard the phrase probably. Uh, but don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. <laughs> Paul says the complete opposite of that. If I can re-paraphrase as, Be so heavenly minded that you can't help but be earthly good. Because... I'm going to stop here. I'm not going to go through the whole book. I want you guys to just let's dwell on Colossians this weekend together. I'll let you guys finish it. Um, but he goes from set your mind on things above to don't lie to one another, forgive one another, let the peace of Christ rule within your hearts. And so it gets very practical, but it starts, the earthly good starts from set your mind on things above where Christ is. And I think.
1: Can I add one more Oh, yeah, to that? please do. I'm so sorry. Um, the other thing, too, I wanted to mention is that, you know, we were created with imaginations. Like, we can imagine really awesome things or really horrible things. Um, but I think the Lord was very intentional in giving us imaginations. And with him, with Holy Spirit, asking him to help you imagine what that looks like. Like, what does the throne room look like? What does your sitting at your feet look like? I think these are very um, beautiful places that the Lord would like to take you. And again, with Holy Spirit, do nothing without Holy Spirit, because you can go really far off in bad things if you don't uh, just have him with you. But... Um, just, like, really asking him what do those places look like because there's something about the imagination and, like, visualizing it in your head um, that's very important. I mean, it's, like, been proven over and over again. When you're trying to attain a goal, what do they say? They say, close your eyes and imagine what this... Lo-. Like, I'm doing decluttering right now in my house. And they say, close your eyes, imagine what your space looks like without the clutter in it, it's supposed to help you, <laughs> whatever. I'm like, this is... Science, Like the Lord gave us imagination to help us. And there was another thing I wanted to mention in my last thing was um, there's a book and it has to do with dying to self and being raised up with Christ. It's called A Handbook for Happiness. And it's by Dr. Solomon. I have not read it yet, but my mother talks to me about it all the time. And there's like this chart in there and it talks about the Christian and how a lot of Christians never really at the end of their life have really come to a place of maturity in Christ because they have neglected to die to themselves, to take up the cross and die daily. Um, what the Holy Spirit is asking them to die to and to suffer in the flesh. It says that he who suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin.
0: It's first Peter four, 1 Peter
1: mm-hmm. 4.1. And so, um, I don't know, it's a really good book just to kind of go into that and this again the same thing with Christ like imagine yourself dying with Christ and he will raise you up you know and and give you the freedom that you've been desiring but you have to have a choice you have to choose to say no i'm going to die to this and it, it stinks the it burns it's it's not fun to die <laughs> to the, to yourself but that was the only other thing i was going to handbook for happiness it's a really good book that kind of goes into this um, and then the imagination. imagination. Mm-hmm. I'm
0: glad you said that about the imagination because one of the values of, I think, that the Lord's putting on the table, not just in this house, but is the visual arts. It's easy to recognize, you know, the musicians for levels of artistry within the church because we always need a worship team. But then having even the visual art artists who can take those things and create those like visuals for people. And we used to be really good at this as a church. Um, but as beautiful as the Protestant Reformation was, one of the bad things that I felt like came from it is just this out of balance reaction to the, you know, uh, the extravagant buildings and all the artistry was, you know, we've got to be super humble. So we're going to meet in our ugly buildings with all of our ugly furniture and everything's just going to be meh and it's just we stop making beautiful things. And I feel like there's a real mandate on the church to make beautiful things, to be able to help us with this too. So that's one of the places, like we wanna fill this place with art as well, like artists that see, that have their minds on things above and can like give visuals. Like we, can, we have visual like, visuals that the Lord can cue us on like Isaiah chapter six, Revelation four and five are pictures of what it looks like in the throne room and we can let our imaginations build that out and those are my favorite places to meditate. Every night I go to bed in Isaiah six, Revelation four and five. I don't have to read it, but I just know the imagery and that imagery is just playing in my head as I go to sleep every night. You do that, like your dreams will become amazing, by the way, Um, but then too, like some of us need that visual help. And it's not like we're worshiping the thing that's created, but it, cr- it just it's opens- supposed to be a
1: testimony of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. So that's the point. It's like a testimony of Jesus going forth, and it's like even light and color and sound. We did a prayer walk at um, an elementary school on Friday, and it's scientific that my sound going out keeps going. It keeps bouncing around in this building even though um, you don't hear it anymore. And so... The same thing with color, the same thing. Everything has like, like a frequency to it, cloth. Like I just learned today that linen has a frequency of 5,000. I didn't know that, and there's a reason why God said don't put linen and wool together because they have the same frequency, and then they cancel each other out. It's so weird. I was like, oh, my gosh. I thought that was a stupid rule, but it actually means something. But anyway, all that to say, like the art, the color, everything is going into the atmosphere, and it can change an atmosphere and it's supposed to be the testimony of Jesus. Yeah. So sometimes it'll be realistic. It'll be like something like this beautiful painting over here. Sometimes it'll be a feeling and just colors and blobs like I do because I like to feel the color and feel the shape and people are like, I see this. I'm like, that's awesome. That's not what I painted, but I mean, that's cool. And um, anyway, just like the feeling of what, you know, what's the spirit of it going out into the atmosphere. Yeah. So I love art. And we're gonna have art now coming up uh, in the hallway soon, which is really exciting. Yeah. From all our artists.
0: Man, I feel like this is a good place to stop. This book is just like the Bible is a goldmine, because Jesus in there is in there, right? In Him are hidden all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Oh no, your chair can stay there, but we can turn worship back on. Oh, it doesn't matter for me, but uh, man, I just felt in searching for, like, God. What are we gonna do today? I just felt like diving into Colossians with you guys, and I'm sad I didn't get to finish it. But I'm gonna finish it when I get home, and uh, hopefully, you guys can finish it and just just have your your time with the Lord, because there's many many beautiful encouragements and things that come after it, but I feel like this is a good stopping place for us for tonight. Jesus, we love your word. We just thank you so much for these precious letters. We thank you for your commands. We thank you for the life of your spirit. We thank you for all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that's hidden in the person of Jesus. And we thank you, Jesus, for disarming all of the arguments against us, for wiping the slate clean so that we can come to you. And we come to you in faith, knowing that you can redeem even our bodies, redeem us according to our original purpose and design. Thank you for saving us from your sins. And we just bless your name. Just say you're worthy. As they sing in Revelation, you're worthy to receive all power and glory and riches and honor and might and blessing. For you purchased men from every tribe and tongue with your blood. And that you're able to present us before the Father, perfect and blameless and complete lacking in nothing. We thank you that in you is divine nature. And we thank you for being able to be partakers of that divine nature through your great, precious promises. We love you so much.